This is the Social Pros Podcast, the weekly show for real people doing real work in social media. With your host, Jay Bear of Convince and Convert, and featuring Jeff Roars, Nick Cicero from Expian, and great guests from the world of social media and content marketing. Social Pros is sponsored by Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company, Expian, Janray, powering personalized marketing with customer profile management, and Cision. Ready to learn from the pros? Let's get to work. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am, as always, Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, joined by my amigos, my compadres, Jeffrey K. Roars from Exact Target Marketing Cloud, and Nick Cicero from Xbeyond Gents. How are you this afternoon? Living large. Are living you living large? Fat. Living fat, living medium, uh, I think is right. uh, more appropriately. Uh, we have an amazing guest on the show today. I actually hyped it up uh, at the end of last week's episode because once I started to kind of peel back the onion, ogres are onions, I started to peel back the, the onion of what uh, this gentleman and his team are doing uh, at VMware. And it was just remarkable, the amount of social media effort and content effort and just the, the stuff that they are doing at VMware is really first uh, first cabin and very comprehensive. So we are very lucky to have on the show uh, John Mark Troyer, who is the director and social media evangelist for VMware. John, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm a big fan. Thank you so much. And you are also a, uh, a podcaster. Why don't you tell us about that a little bit, about uh, your, your podcasting uh, journey as well? <laughs> sure. Well, I, I do do a podcast for the VMware community every week that's live, but uh, your uh, folks here might be interested in the Geek Whisperers, which is a podcast I do with a colleague from Cisco and another one from EMC that uh, talks about enterprise and social media and influencer marketing and stuff like that. We have a lot of fun. Look that up on iTunes or Stitcher Friends, the Geek Whisperer for you uh, more more B2B enterprise SaaS software types uh, amongst our listeners. That is another podcast for you to add to your playlist. It is the Geek Whisperer from today's guest, John Troyer and his co-hosts. Um, John, tell me a little bit about, uh, well, let me just say, one of the things that I absolutely love, and I can't wait to embed this in the show notes, is the VMware Communities page, uh, where on your website, you kind of say, all right, here's all the stuff that we do in Twitter and Facebook and all the other places. And actually, the Twitter page uh, in particular, I thought was remarkable because it allows you to actually sift and sort tweets and, and Twitter handles by topic, by line of business, by hashtag. It's really fantastic. And, and it's so so useful. I'm like, why don't more companies do this? Could you tell us sort of how that happened and and uh, just sort of the the uh, genesis story of that way of thinking? Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, VMware has had a community uh, since 2003, I think. So we were early on a it was a forum, right? And that's the community came together. People, our customers came together, helped each other. So we've really been doing this for a long time. And one thing that's interesting, I think, about our social media team is that actually our DNA comes from our comes from the support department. We were originally all part of the support department, and we started this forum. So even today, we have kind of a lean, mean social media team, and we are all either technologists or ex-web people. I think too many marketers these days are like Tyrannosaurus Rexes or T-Rexes with little tiny arms. They can't actually do anything for themselves. We actually build that stuff ourselves. So one of our guys on our team... Uh, 
you know, an old web guy, a web hand from way back, uh, just built all that. We built that all ourselves, and we think it's useful. So, we do a lot of our own. We do a lot of our own building. It is. It's really fantastic. And I, w- I want you to talk a little bit more about your team. Sort of how many people does that encompass, and and how are they structured, and and are they dedicated to individual channels like like Twitter, for example, or does everybody kind of get involved in, in everything? Sure. Well, we are, we're we're pretty smart. Our company is about fifteen thousand people. Our social media team is about six. So we we stay pretty lean. We're all pretty senior. Like I say, we all pretty much uh, are technical, are hands on. Uh, we've got one guy who's a social media architect. Uh, one uh, my uh, my colleague Carrie works on the social media channels. I work in terms of outreach and community management. We've got a web developer. Uh, I think we have another person in there. I'm forgetting, but. We all kind of uh, work on an area of uh, responsibility, but we also kind of have a hub-and-spoke model. So we work a lot with our business units and our product units, and they have social media specialists that are closer to the content and closer to the, the subject matter. So we work closely with them to make them successful. And because of the sort of size and scope of the organization, as I mentioned uh, at the outset, you actually have social presences in a, in a, a lot of different places. Um, have you uh, discovered over time sort of social media channels or venues that are disproportionately effective for what you're trying to accomplish at VMware? Well, we're, we're trying to reach geeks. So we've got to go where the geeks go. And um, so that means not so much Pinterest and not, not so much Instagram. Our, uh, we sell software. And so we could put, be putting up pictures of data centers or pictures of happy, smiling IT people. But we don't do that so much. We're getting good action. Actually, I'm, I'm shocked to say this. We're getting pretty good action on Google+. Uh, but we actually have a lot of people, our people hang out on Twitter. And I've been active in getting our community over on Twitter uh, since 2008. So we have a large, broad uh, set of people. We all follow each other. We use that as kind of our internal chat room. Uh, and so we, we do a lot of work on Twitter. And on Twitter, you have a separate account for VMware Cares, right? So you've got a number of sort of brand-associated accounts, and then the VMware Cares account is is for uh, customer service issues, uh, presumably. We're seeing that as an emerging best practice in enterprise organizations who are sort of splitting off the customer service side of Twitter into a dedicated handle. How long have you had that separate, and was there sort of a, hey, we really should do this, or, or is it just sort of natural because your team kind of came out of the service side to begin with? Well, by the time we made the Twitter Cares handle, I think we'd been long moved over into corporate marketing. And that's where we live now, over in corporate marketing. So this was one guy in our support center, and he started it, modeled you know, after Comcast Cares in, in, in a lot of ways. He started it. He started with no SLAs, just doing it on the side, uh, kind of building up some scripts and some best practices. But he, he knew where all the connections were and how to cook people up to the right resources. One thing that's important to note for, for enterprise software selling is that support is paid for. So people pay a lot of money for very good support. The Twitter stuff is where people either blow off steam when the process hasn't worked or they have an idle question. And so for those, the whole goal is to get them back into the normal support processes, which are highly staffed and, and, and you know highly process-driven. So we either send them to our forums, which, again, have been there for for over 10 years, probably over 30% of the traffic to our corporate website goes to the forums. 
via Google. So we send them over to the forums if they have a technical question. But if they purchase support entitlement, then we get them into the normal uh, support channels. So it started off with one guy. There's now a Follow the Sun team of technical support people that can help uh, 24 hours a day. And now we've just started uh, recently to have the customer support people who are separate from the technical support people also handle questions about account uh, problems and things that aren't technical in nature. But it's been a journey, right? It just started with one guy, and it's been a journey. It really is a journey. And and like a lot of companies that are in um, the big software business, there's only so much that you can handle inside a tweet anyway, as I think you alluded to, right? You can sort of prove that you're listening, right? And then sort of shunt that off to a more appropriate venue or a more appropriate circumstance. You really can't diagnose and, and fix problems uh, in a series of 140 character messages, no? A lot of times you can actually, if if it's uh, we have a knowledge base full of you know question and answers and break fix problems. If we can find the right one, we can send that to somebody and it fixes the problem right away. Or again, we can send them over to the forum where uh, there are people waiting, chatting, and you know you get your problem fixed pretty quickly. What's interesting about your forums is it's a combination not only of employees, of course, but but also users, right? There There is very much that sort of physician heal thyself culture around VMware that you've got uh, customers helping customers. And uh, have you taken active steps to sort of facilitate that kind of culture or did it or did it sort of spring up organically? Or uh, we'll talk about the experts program in a minute, but but within the forums, uh, sort of how did it get to that point? <laughs> Well, we, we sell very technically complicated software. So I think people just kind of had to come together to uh, help each other. Uh, and um, we actually don't provide SLAs on the forum itself. Uh, the, the employees that are participating are, are participating completely voluntarily. Oh, wow. So, so, so they're actually they're just sort of chipping in as, yeah. as, as you know, part of their job, but not officially. Absolutely, and we wow. get product managers and folks like that. That for some smaller emerging products, a whole product team will show up there and and listen as more part of their job. But for our mainstream products, um, at this point, it's all just mostly customers helping each other. Let's talk about the the V Experts Influencer Program. Uh, why don't we have you kind of? give our listeners a, an overview of how it works. I think it really is one of the smartest and best executed influencer programs I've ever seen in B2B. It'd be great for you to kind of explain um, how it how it was was um, created and sort of how it has continued to evolve uh, today. And then uh, Jeff and Nick and I will have some questions on the specifics. Sure. Well, it all started because we, we noticed that there were a lot of people helping on the forums. And there were a lot of people who had started to blog about VMware. This was back 2006, seven days. And we wanted to find a way to recognize them and also to well, in, in, you know, work with them, right? Make them more successful. And hopefully then that would make our company more successful. So there is a magic inside companies to naming something. And before the vExpert program, it was just uh, John is messing around with his blogger friends, right? Which is not a very good thing to bring up to your VP like well John's been spending his time hanging out with bloggers uh, it's just not very impressive on the P&L sheet or anything like that. <laughs> hard to hard to hard to put a line item for that right exactly so uh, inspired in part by the Microsoft MVP program we created the VMware V expert program and what it was is we were looking for people who it's hard to put your finger on it but people who are passionate people who had given back to the community 
uh, people who had gone above and beyond their job duties. And it was a lot of bloggers and it was a lot of user group leaders and folks like that. So we basically gave them this award. But we're kind of careful these days not to say the word award because it's a program that's now grown to over 750 people. It's an annual program, looks backwards on what you've done in the past, doesn't require anything of you uh, the, in, the pro, in the current program year, but does look at what you did in the past year. And uh, it's an annual program. You can be dropped if you're no longer active. But what we try to do is we try to give them licenses. We try to get them into beta tests. We try to give them more interaction with the product teams. And then we also have special events at our annual conferences. We bring them together, you know, make sure they get some good shrimp and cocktails, and uh, really show that we appreciate them. But at the same time, we value them for their feedback. So it's, it's an award program. It's an enablement program. It's a networking program. It's a feedback program, and then, of course, occasionally we do do acts of marketing. We brief them before all of our product releases, and we'd like them to blog and talk about the products as well. How do you, how do you find those people at this point? How do we find people? Um, we've, I've been doing this uh, for eight years, eight and a half years, and I think that's been an important part of our success, right? I'm senior enough that I'm, I've known this community for a long time. We meet at conferences. Uh, we meet on Twitter. Uh, VMware has an active user group program with over 70 or 80,000 members. Uh, it's a small world once you get to this kind of level of geeky IT-dom. So <laughs> we tend to find each other. I so thought. it's a process of elimination is what, uh, is, is what you're saying. I love it. It's great. <laughs> Hey, John, this is Jeff Roars. I'm interested in, you know, because of the longevity of that program, what's the life cycle of the relationship uh, with those influencers? Is there uh, a shelf life, or do these folks remain a part of the program kind of ad infinitum? Um, well, it's yeah. a yearly program. What I've seen in terms of our influencers, we have had several generations. The first set of folks I worked with in 2005, six, who were, a lot of them were customers, frankly. They then, a lot of them moved over into being consultants. Uh, they moved over into being speakers at conferences. They've moved over into being book authors. And a lot of them actually ended up getting jobs with other technology vendors or, or with our company. Uh, so a lot of those people moved out of their influencer roles, and then you saw a second generation come up. I would say two or three years of really active production. And then, you know, life gets in the way or babies get in the way or you, you, you're foolish enough to write a book, so you have to disappear for a year. Um, and so, Oh, those people are foolish who write books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I, just, just a few authors on the phone. So I know, I know. That's why I said that, right? You guys know. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible curse you've inflicted on yourselves. So, but... Um, you know, so it's a couple of years that that people remain active, and that's okay, right? Things things happen. We we're now on our you know fourth or fifth generation of these influencers, and we're a mix, right? Of the we try to bring we try so hard not to be clickish, right? Because sure. it's it's so easy to exclude newcomers. So we do things to help new bloggers, to help people start new blogs. I have a a blogging aggregator that uh, aggregates blogs both old and new, and mm -hmm. so people that gives them more visibility. Our community actually just organized a top 10 uh, blogging contest. They voted on which blogs, which of the virtualization and VMware-oriented blogs that they liked the best. And, and over, I think it was over um, over 300 blogs were in that contest. So, you know, we 
we've done a good job in seeding the marketplace, and, and folks find it useful for their careers. Now, you have that, that fourth or fifth generation of the influencers. How have you then supported it on the internal side? Has there been similar maturation and kind of folks moving out of the support roles, and then you bring in new folks, or have, has there been some consistency there in terms of who leads uh, the internal support around the influencer program? Well, I've I've been at VMware for eight and a half years. One of my colleagues have some of my colleagues have been there for ten and eleven years. So we have had a lot of continuity, mm -hmm. and I think that's helped a lot. I'm friends with these people. I've seen their kids grow up on Facebook. I see them a couple times a year at conferences. Uh, you know, I, it we've gotten drunk together. I mean, it's it, that really kind of helps in terms of the programmatic support. You know, we have we have a much more formal program now. Uh, we mm -hmm. have more of a budget now. Uh, we have more tooling now. And also in our organization as a whole, there are more people outside the social media team who are also uh, interested and responsible for having relationships with these external folks. That, that's interesting. Um, you know, for as much as we talk about social media here, we sometimes don't talk about the socializing part of it. Um, how, how much value do you feel that that face-to-face -face that you get at events uh, or, you know, uh, industry gatherings, how, how much does that deepen the relationship and is that a structured part of the program? Oh, it, it's huge. It's huge. I really have recently come to the conclusion that though I'm part of an online team, my, my job is really at least half offline as well as online. Yeah, it's important, right? We're social animals. We need to look each other in the eye. Uh, this is a small community, relatively speaking, right? I'm not Coke or Pepsi trying to reach millions of people. I'm just trying to reach these these thousands of people who that in turn, you know, influence tens or hundreds of other thousands of people. So uh, it's super important. There's a few big watering holes in our industry that we we all, that you go to, and the connections. It's always really interesting. It's turned our conferences from. I mean, again, there it's a bunch of introverts and geeks, right? It's turned our conferences from something where everyone's kind of staring at their shoes and waiting in line to get into the next session to to really much more of a homecoming, right? It's much more friendly. It's much more social. You see people hugging. Uh, it's really quite remarkable. It's it's camp VMware, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It certainly it's made that, my experience a lot better. That's that's great. And and um, as you think about mentoring um, younger employees who are coming into the social media space, do you do you see them appreciating that face to face, that customer interaction piece, or do you feel that's something that has to be? Uh, uh, kind of trained uh, because there's a reliance on uh, technology for those interactions? I think it's tough. I think uh, for a lot of companies it's tough and, and it's something that also comes with experience. To market to these folks, you really have, there is a social component. You have to be, you know, I hesitate to say you have to be friends with them because that's such an overloaded term, but you kind of have to be part of the tribe. And I think a lot of times marketers who, for in my case, like I'm marketing to technology people, right? So I have to be either a technologist or comfortable talking about technology so that I can become part of the tribe. And that's not something that every marketer wants to do or can do, but boy, it makes it a lot easier. 
Yeah, I think that that's a great point that you make. Uh, you know, I just I recently wrote a blog post this week talking about community-centric and community peripheral companies. And uh, before, as as just a plain marketer in different ad agencies, I think that I really uh, didn't understand the true value of that online and offline community as much until I joined tech companies. Uh, I really saw how essential it was to having those advocates really come out, talk about your product, and, and really get involved in the communities that you're there. And it does involve both sides. Um, the, the question that I had for you, John, I mean, it's it's awesome to hear that you've been managing these these types of teams year after year, and, and you almost have the the legacy groups of influencers and advocates. So, how when you're when you're creating that, and, and obviously you change with the times, but how do you build those uh, as systems and structures uh, internally without getting repetitive in your content or or kind of giving a burnout to the different folks who are interacting with you because they know that you're you've done this for years and years. Uh, burnout on my side or burnout on the external side? Or both? So I think that, uh, yeah, I, I would say let's, we could go with both if, if you'd prefer. So I'd say, you know, how are you able to kind of replicate programs year after year while, while keeping them fresh uh, for such large groups of people? Wow, I, I've, never, I've never thought about it that way, right? It's really interesting stuff that we do, so I've never lost interest. Um, we have a cadence to our year. We have a couple of big conferences that we all prepare for. Um, I have actually... One of the ways that we do bring people together in the virtual space is I do a weekly podcast that's live. Uh, it's kind of a campfire where everybody comes together, and I think I'm on like podcast number 267 or something. That's getting a bit old, I suppose, uh, since I do the same thing every week. But um, uh, you know, again, with a fresh influx of people, with a, with new versions of products, uh, with these are actual practitioners that we're talking to, so it's not like I have to come up with Happy Friday posts or like, you know, that sort of thing. Like this, if you you know like babies, I don't do that. Great. Would you like yeah. to do that? Yeah, I think that that's really uh, that's a debate these days. <laughs> well, I just didn't know if you wanted to, if you wanted to start doing the like this if you like babies, we could um, <laughs> we could challenge you with some more consumer driven social media if we want to you know get on to it. <laughs> Kittens, man. The whole internet is run by tell kittens. I tell you what, it works. It works because it works. Yeah, there's an industry conversation. Another reason why you need to be offline as well, right? There's an industry conversation that goes on amongst analysts and journalists and at conferences. And as long as you're part of that and can work with the content producers in your organization who are often the subject matter experts, which again, my team doesn't create a whole lot of content. We're starting to create more, but we, we work with the technical specialists around the company and the marketing specialists around the company who are part of that conversation, right? Because they have to brief journalists and analysts all the time. Uh, so we have never, we, we, we have too much content, frankly. That is not a, uh, that's not a problem you typically hear, right? That we have, uh, that we have too much content. You are, you are certainly doing something right. No doubt about it. Um, I'm really excited, as I said, to embed a bunch of your work into uh, into the show notes so people can uh, visit those links and uh, take a look at some of the specific examples that we've talked about uh, here today. I'm going to uh, remind folks who some of our sponsors are. We're going to get into uh, the uh, social media number of the week and holy social segments of the show. We'll be back with more uh, from John Troyer from VMware in just a second. First, I want to remind you that this podcast, the podcast that you are listening to, Social Pros, is brought to you by the good people at Xbeyond. Xbeyond has a centralized platform that empowers global brands, agencies, and retailers to manage their social marketing efforts. So 
you might think, hey, well, why would we use Xpion instead of Hootsuite or whatever, or any of the number of other social media management platforms that are out there? Here's what these guys really specialize in, right? So if you have a complicated scenario where you have lots and lots of users who are trying to uh, log in at various times and syndicate content across multiple locations. So if you are, for example, a university maybe that has lots and lots of different kind of social con- um, social accounts, or if you are a franchise organization, right? So if you have a complicated social media situation, you absolutely need to check out XBeyond. They uh, really specialize in that kind of circumstance. Uh, Nick can help you. Uh, just go to XBeyond.com, look for a demo, uh, get a hold of it. If you're a te- television network, for example, that's another uh, circumstance where you might want to use uh, their software, go to xbeyond.com, fill out a form, ask for Nick. He'll do the demo him uh, himself. He'll uh, he'll give you uh, some additional social media insights while he's doing the demo, because that's just the kind of guy he is. He's a utility. And uh, you should check out their free downloadable report on how to maximize the effectiveness of Facebook. You can get that at ar.gy slash fave50. That's ar.gy slash fave Five zero. Thanks as always to the good folks at XBion for sponsoring Social Pros. Social Pros is also brought to you by the leading provider of software services and tools to the public relations industry. And that, my friends, is a little company called Cision. If you need to know who's talking about your company, if you need to know the key media and influencers in your category, you need decisions because like not everybody um, has a list of influencers that sort of become obvious the way they were for John at VMware. Sometimes you actually need to try and find influencers that you don't already know who are influential in a particular vertical or about a particular product type. And that's where you can really use Cision to find and connect with those potential people. Uh, it's great software. I use it myself from time to time on amplification. And and speaking of amplification, uh, Cision has a free tip sheet that you really should take a look at. It's called Six Tips to Help Amplify Your Content. You can download that for free from Cision right now at ar.gy slash amplify. That's ar.gy slash amplify. Okay, Mr. Jeff Roars, are you ready for the social media number of the week? I am indeed. The number this week is 59%. 59%. That, according to new research, is the number of seniors, 65 and older, who are going online on a regular basis. It lags all adults in the U.S. at 80%, 86%, so there's a gap there of around 27%. But what's interesting is the, the number uh, almost tracks the growth exactly over the past 13 years of adults Overall, so the trend line continues up in terms of seniors using the internet. Um, and what intrigues me about this, Jay, and I wanted to talk about, is if you feel that uh, seniors are being well served uh, by the social networks, or if in fact there are business opportunities here to appeal to specific needs uh, that folks 65 and older might have. That's a very good question. Um, I, I certainly do not think that social networks are particularly welcoming to new users of any age. Um, Twitter in particular is inscrutable, right? If you if you don't know somebody who has been using Twitter a long time, there's a lot of parts of Twitter that, that you may not fully understand. And certainly they've been talking about changing that because they realize they've got to get bigger uh, and, and sort of the arcane side of Twitter isn't doing anybody any favors. 
uh, Facebook is a little easier to understand. I think probably um, the one that is the easiest to pick up uh, for a new user right now is Google Plus because it's it's bolted into your Gmail. So if you're a Gmail user, uh, and many seniors are, uh, of course, many seniors are also Hotmail users and a number of other things, but uh, assuming you're a Gmail user, you can kind of get into the flow of, of Google Plus pretty easily. So uh, I wouldn't say that that it is particularly simple to be a new user of any social network uh, at, at this point. I think that's a flaw of all of them. Now, could there be a senior-specific layer on top of existing social networks? Absolutely. Uh, do we think it's realistic that there is a senior-only or a senior-intended social network? That kind of gets into interest graph versus social graph conversations. Mm-hmm. And while I think that certainly... Uh, is a possibility. In fact, I worked on a digital web project years and years ago that was targeted to boomers. And I mean, there's something there, but you think about seniors and the reason that they connect in many cases is not only to, to interact with their friends, but also to stay connected with their family members, right? Their, their children sure. or their grandchildren, and, and they're not going to use the senior social network, right? So um, that's why my mom is on Facebook. Would she love to be involved in a senior social network? Probably, but she wants to connect with me and my kids. So I'm not. I'm not sure. Nick, what do you think? You know, my grandmother joined social media. Joined Facebook actually about a year ago, and I remember getting uh, the text. So I mean, you know, that, that should tell you something already. But I remember getting a text from my grandmother telling me that she was on Facebook, and I know that for a fact that she never posts, never does anything. But the only reason that she is is because honestly, the the grandkids and, and my parents and my aunts and uncles they're posting photos, they're they're sharing all these experiences, and I think that that kind of trickles up as you get older, right? So my, my parents, the stuff that they post is, is so different from the stuff that I post, so different from the stuff that you know my grandma doesn't post, um, but it all gets funneled back up. And so she sees the things that she wants to see. And so I th- I've gotten a number of messages from her that say, hey, you look like you're having a great time in New York City. Uh, I'd love to see you soon. And then that starts a new conversation because she'd rather have me call her, right? She doesn't want me to leave a wall post. She doesn't want me to, to send her a poke. She wants to just pick up the phone and she wants to hear her grandson's voice. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the, that idea, you know, you never know. You, obviously, you have a little bit more folks who are digitally more savvy than others. Um, but I think that there is that adoption rate that, that going back to the idea, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, is this idea of Metcalfe's Law, right? So the, the value of any social network or any communication is only equal to the amount of value of connections that can be garnered from that. So we see these, these social networks and we see a lot of numbers that show that Facebook is skewing older because there are more and more people that are getting that value and they can have that ability to connect with folks in almost a passive way. And so that's where I think that a lot of the, the older social folks are kind of uh, falling into in, in this certain scenario. Well, I think the other thing we're going to have is obviously aging with the population with greater familiarity with technology. The, the problem that I see is that it hasn't been very accommodating social networks or devices, for that matter, of uh, vision loss or, you know, to your point, Jay, just kind of the lack of intuitive, uh, you know, kind of flow uh, to use some of the tools, uh, some of the deeper tools. Um, So while, you know, 59% of 65 and older are online, 77% of them have cell phones. Um, But, you know, if if you look at most of the experiences on the cell phone, you're, you're still talking about something that, you know, there's a certain level of technological sophistication and comfort you've got to have. And so I wonder if you're right. I wonder if there's a layering opportunity here or a, you know, kind of community within community opportunity for um, some, if not many of the, the social networks to think about that older population. Because obviously uh, boomers are, are, are aging. Um, that's going to be a huge demographic group with a lot of uh, continued buying power for a while. 
Um, and it certainly feels like there's there's business opportunity there um, as those folks want to socialize with each other. So maybe it's it's not Tinder for them, it's Walker or something of that nature. But uh, we'll have yeah, to we should definitely. Or if you are in the South, it's FarmersOnly.com. FarmersOnly.com. I saw that ad this weekend. Did you? I saw that too. It's because hilarious. city folk it's, don't yeah, it's not, get yeah. country folk. We uh, right. we actually get those ads here. Uh, we get those ads in uh, in Indiana as well. And uh, oh, every time I see that commercial, and now uh, we're gonna have to embed this into the podcast. Um, every time I see that, I'm like, I cannot believe this actually exists. Uh, but apparently, it does. It is, uh, wildly the wistful popular. woman, the wistful woman in her overalls, walking. And the and the man who had just gotten off the combine, those two needed to be together. Yep. And she likes yes. the fish. For for those who are not, uh, for those who live on the, yeah, she does. For those who live on the coasts, uh, we th- there is a a, a social network, uh, farmersonly.com. dot uh, It's almost like um, uh, it's like Match dot com, but but it's only for rural Americans, and uh, they have a very interesting television campaign, uh, which drives traffic to their site. So you you can look forward to that uh, well, on and, the show. One one thing you know, is that we aren't making light of that, right? This is this is no, actually interest graph, man. It's interest graph. Right? This is occurring Absolutely. everywhere. Look at you know Lady Gaga's Little Monsters, right? She shaves off the 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 most loyal, the most uh, you know kind of uh, amplifying uh, group of her her fans, and you know can not only monetize that better, but you know put them in an environment where their fandom doesn't seem you know uh, over and above the call of duty. It's quite yeah. the norm, no doubt. Uh, so. You know, when you then apply that, I think, to yeah. senior communities. Uh, I think that's one of the things we need to ask John to do, to, to start a farmers only, uh, you know, sort of forum within the VMware community. If we can work on that, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, going back, not a joke about the TV. I mean, I know that we're joking about uh, about the farmers only site itself. But, I mean, think about the opportunities that, that maybe t- a lot of tech companies or social networks aren't tapping into. I mean, I started to see uh, Firefly cell phone commercials probably about 10 years ago at 3 a.m. at 4 a.m. On, on those really off hours that we know are really ripe for targeting to to seniors. When was Facebook going to be putting on a television commercial at 4 in the morning targeted yeah. at that senior or at that grandmother? I think that that would be interesting to see some kind of lift if they were to take that wrangle. I love it. Let's get into uh, the... Uh, holy social segment. Um, first, let me remind you that this podcast, this very podcast, Social Pros, is also brought to you by the good people at uh, Jan Rain, the leaders in social sign-in and social login and social data uh, collection and profile management stuff. They have a really interesting case study that we can all benefit from. It's all about uh, the New Zealand Herald, which is the big newspaper uh, down there in New Zealand, and how they increased their website user registration, not by 10%, They didn't increase their website user registrations by 100%. They increased their website user registrations by 500%. How did they do that? Check out the case study right now from January, and it's free. You can get it at ar.gy slash New Zealand, ar.gy slash New Zealand. Okay, Nick, uh, what do you have for Holy Social this week? All right, so this week, guys, have I got the opportunity of a lifetime for you. What if I told you you had the chance to apply for a position with a 135 to unlimited hour work week, completely standing on your feet, zero vacations. In fact, your workload goes up on Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. Proficient in handling sticky situations, ideally a degree in medicine, finance, and or the culinary arts, and it pays zero dollars. Sounds great, right? I think you said 135 hours, mostly on your feet, and it pays zero. Yes, that's uh, I am. Uh, I am. I am not interested. 
Ah, okay. Well, you know, you actually would be like most folks. The folks over at Mullen, uh, our friends over at Mullen, the, the digital shop, great company, uh, they post world's toughest job, as they've called it, a director of operations position at a company called Retom, Inc. Uh, and their post received, created this fake job ad, and they got about 2.7 million impressions with 24 applicants. And they recorded those 24 applicants actually interviewing for this position. And as they went through the, the process and described to them how, how they basically would not be getting paid, they'd have zero breaks, uh, they'd be working around the clock, and they'd be asked to basically do everything for no money, um, they, they sure garnered some interesting responses from folks on a live video chat, uh, from blank stares to, wow, you're outrageous, and other types of things. And in the end, uh, and it was basically revealed that the only person who could necessarily fit those one's mother. Uh, so, you know, your mother working all hours of the night, standing up all the time and helping you when you're sick or when you're going on vacation and never really getting paid. Uh, and so as a result of this this kind of viral, this hitting camera type, you wait until at the very end, you then finally it's finally revealed that it's from cardstore.com. And so I think that the, the social thing about this is obviously the, the earned media that's coming from these hidden cameras. Uh, but thinking more and more, I've always wondered what kind of the Kevin Bacon effect of social will be if you measured uh, the number of non-marketing, non-advertising folks engaging with marketing type uh, posts from inside of the industry. Like you have friends, I have friends, we all have friends on Facebook and Twitter who are non-social friends, um, but they're being exposed to a lot of these advertising messages and even going under the hood in a lot of those instances because we're sharing to different networks. Um, I think that when you're able to catch somebody in these moments of disbelief, and you know, I want I want you guys to watch the video and want everybody to listen to go watch the video to get the full emotional impact of the videos. Um, um, but it's really rare to be able to catch people in, in a moment of disbelief or a moment of wonder. And it's actually becoming a lot more powerful, and I think that we're starting to see a lot more of these hidden camera, candid camera style design uh, campaigns that are designed to turn heads and generate discussion both online and in the media. Uh, we looked at Bud Light's Super Bowl campaign or Dove's Real Beauty sketches or their new placebo patch, uh, and they're looking for ways that are really you know unique to, to be able to turn common ideas on their head be able to foster a conversation. So I'll, I'll look in the coming weeks to see how, uh, how they, they tap into this Mother's Day conversation that's based on American greetings. And so it was highly understated, but at the end it says maybe you should make a, a card for your mom this year. Uh, I, I would say that I would ask you to go watch the video to get the full impact, and I didn't want to give away too much on it. But it's very interesting to see much more of these hidden camera, candy camera type videos and experiences going out more and more, trying to catch people off guard and, and mix them up and get them out of their comfort zone from seeing so many messages and so many channels. Every yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that that notion of of paying it off uh, down the road, right? So so we're going to have a brand association and a call to action, but it's going to be many, many layers deep. I just had a conversation with a client about that kind of concept today about how how far down can you stash the CTA, right? How far, how many layers down of that kind of program can you credibly put um, the actual brand information? And, and in this particular case, it's really far down. Like you've got to, you've got to really stick and move and navigate through this thing for a while to, to really understand that this is a, a very complicated and very awesome, very holy social way to get you to buy a Mother's Day card uh, because uh, I've done some work in the in the card industry, right? People don't buy cards as much as they used to, A, because cards are kind of expensive now, and B, it's like, well, I could just, you know, say Happy Mother's Day on Facebook or via email or via text or whatever. Uh, so I think it's a really, really smart strategy. 
but it's an interesting question of, okay, yes, you can use that kind of subtlety content as promotion, a utility, if you will, as, as the way to spread your message. But eventually, it still has to come back around to the brand. And, and, you know, at some point, it's so subtle that it doesn't actually have the intended business impact, even if it did have uh, probably more than an intended um, impact on sort of viewership and society. I think it's an interesting question that people uh, get faced with all the time in sort of conference rooms uh, filled with marketers. Yeah, I think that, you know, you're, you're faced with a tough question sometimes when you want to do these campaigns or you want to be able to create some type of, of piece of creative that you know would, would would be moving and valuable to somebody if it weren't attached necessarily even to your brand behind it. I mean, if you think about it, you could have taken the American Greetings logo it, and you probably wouldn't have known that it was an actual card company. So whether that's good or bad, I mean, you, you will have to figure out and see what, what American Greetings thinks about that. Um, but it does go back to that, to your idea, you know, Jay, of utility, and it is... Uh, value or it's about creating entertainment and not necessarily uh, worry the second after it goes out we're going to get on that and it may be a longer play um, but those are tough questions that people ask and how do you, you kind of decide which is the time to do it and which of the times not to do it and I think that when you're you know talking about something very emotional like mothers you, you're hoping that you're going to get that earned media play and I know that I know that that's something that American Greetings hopefully will be um, sharing all over and, and you know, just the the link bait type headline of these 24 job applicants yeah. got the surprise of their life. Uh, looking at some of the you know the, the way that that can be perceived in different feeds, and I shared it. I found it this afternoon, and I shared it, and, and immediately it pretty much became the talk of all my social circles. Everybody took it took off. Yeah. And so, and I think that that's their goal sometimes. But yeah, it's interesting to be able to to see who's doing it well, who's not doing it well, and then when you're actually getting these really great pieces of video content, how do you extend that campaign? So I'm I'm really interested to look see if American Greetings is going to go in and and allow people to create content or, or showcase cards that that folks have created to their mothers. Figure out some way to take that video now and extend right. it all the way through Mother's Day. So I'll right, yeah, to make it more of a make it more of a platform than just a one-off. That's always exactly. the that's always the the critical step if possible. You look at what John Mark has done with with the V Experts program, right? That's now years and years and years and years and years of paying dividends uh, for the company. That's a good holy to social, Nick. Thanks so much. Um, okay, John, uh, let's wrap it up here with the two big questions uh, for you. Uh, John Troyer from VMware. Question number one, my friend, what one tip would you give people looking to become a social pro? Uh, my tip for people wanting to become a social pro is don't get a job in social media. <laughs> I think there's probably some truth to that, but please explain. The reason is, uh, you know, even at our big company, there's a very few jobs that actually have social media in the title. But increasingly, social media is pervasive in the entire organization. And so if you can bring social media and influencer marketing and community management and just being a human face of a corporation, if you can bring those skills to your existing job role, whether that's uh, customer-facing or partner-facing or even internal, you're going to have a huge leg up as businesses transform and as uh, marketing transforms to this whatever this is whatever we're headed towards I don't know what you want to call it but I think the actual future of people with social media in the title is is going to be limited I think instead it's gonna you know, it's like the department of PowerPoint or the department of telephone there, there's no such thing in a modern company right Man. we're all gonna be using social media skills in our job roles oh so well said 
Yeah, take what you got and run with it. Yeah, you make a great point. Uh, well said. I, I I talked about this at the Social Media Marketing World Conference recently. Uh, I, I have sections about this exact same concept in both of my books. And what I have said hundreds of times is that social media is going to become a skill, not a job. And that everything important in business, in the history of business, starts off as a job. And then when we realize it's important, it becomes a skill. At one point, typing was a job. There were people whose job title was typist. And then we realized, wow, this is super important. We should all do this. And now we do. And social media uh, will follow the same path. There will, there, there will still be social media managers and social media directors and social media strategists. But, but that's going to be a handful of people. That social media will be baked into the job responsibilities of many, many, many people. Uh, John, I think you are absolutely right. I'm glad you brought that up. Second, Jay, and that's a great way to say that. I, I, honestly, I don't think that I've heard anybody say it exactly like that about emerging technology starting as a job until you realize that it's commonplace. I, I think that that's a great way to, to say something like it, that. It always happens. Yeah. It always happens. That. It, it when I like was, uh, my, I, the, the, the example I use in speech is there's, when I was a kid, my first job as an intern, I worked for a PR firm, uh, and we had a lady who made copies. Uh, her name was Margie, and she was in charge of making copies. Like, literally, that's what she did. Because in those days, we're talking, um, you know, mid 80s, uh, you did not make your own copies. Like John knows, John's old enough to remember this, like, <laughs> you know, like the cut because the copy machine was like the size of like a Mini Cooper. And, and you, you know, you, it was like ear protection and eye protection. It was like, you know, you could lose a hand making your own copies. It was like an OSHA violation. So every company at that point had somebody in charge of making copies, like doing the binding and the stapling and all that. And that seemed perfectly logical, right? And now I can make copies from my pants on my iPhone, right? So um, everything starts off as a job and then filters out across the organization. Um, you know, at one point we had telephone operators, right? Taking wires and plugging them in two holes. So um, we're, we're, it's on the way, right? We're already starting to see it now. And this notion of kind of decentralized blogging and, de you know, John talked about it in um, the beginning of this show, right? Having employees of VMware go and participate in the forums, not because it's their job, but because they want to. That is a, is, is a sort of symptom of that social media becoming a skill, not a job uh, shift. Second and final question uh, for John Troyer, VMware. Thanks so much for being on the show, John. Is if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be? This is actually the hardest question of the entire podcast. I've been worried about this for weeks. Uh, because these days, I could Skype call anybody, right? I reached out to you. I could reach out to anybody. I'm literally, literally anybody I'm interested in. So I went through all the usual suspects, like you know the president and the Dalai Lama. But I think I'm going with Stuart Brandt. Stuart Brand was the founder of the Whole Earth Catalog. He was the oh, founder yeah. of uh, The Well. He, uh, he influenced a whole uh, generation of technologists, had a lot of influence yes. on the formation of Wired Magazine. He was actually the first guy, after hanging out with Ken Kesey uh, and the Merry Pranksters back in the 60s, to petition NASA to take a picture of the Earth from space. And he, that was his whole thing. Why haven't we seen a picture of the whole Earth from space? He's now. Uh, he's also now director of the Long Now Foundation and done a lot of other things. He's still. He's still hanging out in Sausalito. So I. Uh, I'd love to talk to him just to to hear about the cyber culture and uh, what people were thinking. And and he's just a smart dude. And I bet he has a lot of interesting stories. 
Yeah, that guy's got stories across a number of different uh, circumstances, right? I mean, that's the best. Those are the best storytellers, right? Who have who have stories about all these different uh, uh, weird parts of their life. So, yeah, that's a great answer. I'm looking forward to to linking up to some of his uh, some of his work. So, people who listen to the podcast and and uh, view the blog post uh, versions of the podcast can can find out more. Great, great answer. Thank you. That will do it uh, for this episode of the Big Social Pros Podcast, Real People Doing Real Work in Social Media. That was John Troy from VMware. Uh, I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. I was joined, as always, by my pals, Jeff Flores from Exact Target and Nick Cicero from XBeyond. Join us next week for another fantastic episode. Thanks, as always, for listening. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Social Pros, the show for real people doing real work in social media. Please tell your friends about the show. Subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher and view all episodes at socialpros.com. Until next week, thanks to Cision, Janray, XPN, and ExactTarget, a Salesforce.com company.